Welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast, Adweek's agency podcast of the year. Every episode, we listen to and learn from people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here's your host, Rob Schwartz, CEO of TBWA Shy Day New York. All right, well, thank you for tuning in. Our guest today is Matt Rotondo, and he's an executive producer of IMAX Educational Films. Matt, welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. You have such a distinguished list of guests over the years. Yes, and you're adding to it. Oh, well, thank you. And congratulations on the, on the great recognition of this wonderful podcast. Oh, you mean Agency Podcast of the Year? Tee up. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I owe, I owe you one. No, it is, uh, it is a thrill. We're, we're very, uh, very pleased about that and, uh, you know, mostly pleased that we can bring uh, interesting, disruptive people to the world. So uh, that's why you're here. Well, thank you. So executive producer of IMAX Educational Films, you're going to have to unpack that for us. What, 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 do you, what do you do on your life? Sure. I try and find brands to help support the film projects we have. So mm-hmm. I joke if we had a nickel for every time we heard brand purpose these days, we would fund a lot of media plans with those nickels. Everybody's talking about it. And wonderfully, a lot of brands are actually kind of living up to the task and the charge. The challenge many of them have is getting seen as those programs being legitimate and right. getting the credit for those earnest efforts that they're spending so much time and resource behind. And, you know, there's bad actors out there who are using, saying things that is really just kind of greenwashing or appearances. But for those that are really doing substantial stuff, I kind of landed in this world of these IMAX educational films that sit in the most iconic museums and science centers. So the Smithsonian, California Science Center, um, Natural History Museum, on and on. There's about 200 worldwide. And if a brand can be in that environment, Mm. you know, the environment transfers (laughs) some credibility and some legitimacy. And frankly, there's there's a lot brands can do both not just from a brand standpoint, but actually from uh, kind of tactics and and business applications as well. Good. All right. Well, uh, what I want to do first is maybe uh, break down some of the definitions, because I must say that the brand content, branded content conversation, it's certainly one that we have around the hallowed halls of TBWA Shia Day quite a bit, and I know that we're not alone. So let's just do some definitions. And again, this is from your perspective. You're living in this world. What's the difference between branded content and brand content? An ED. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess relative to what I'm talking about, one is that a brand is fully funding, has kind of full control over the project versus... um, And I've done versions of that before. But the versions I work with now, they just basically help fund a project that aligns with a message they want to get out into the, the brands world. Are funding. The brands are funding in part. Sometimes there's other sources of funding as well mm-hmm. or tax credits that go into it. So these are so, more like... So almost like an executive producer role? Yeah. That's, I mean, I, I just bring together different aspects of completing the project so we can go off and make the project, but make it under the treatment um, mm-hmm. that we think is going to be both educational because it has to be in those um, environments, but also entertaining Mm -hmm. and something you actually want to sit through. (laughs) Mm -hmm. One of the other things that I think we talk about a lot is kind of the touchstones or the icons in the space, you know, in this world of branded content. So we, we always bring up BMW films. We're big fans of that. But what else, I think, in your world, like who and what are some of the other, let's call them icons of branded content, 
Well, in my previous life, I guess one of my favorites, Transformers, the movie Transformers. Mm, um, you know, I had a little bit extra exposure. I was at CAA for 10 years, and that's kind of where I made the transition. I started in advertising, right. and then I made this transition to sit at a talent agency and see what kind of that ecosystem of people who are creating content and entertainment could bring when you when you bring brands together. And and that's a great example of I, I actually use it with these film examples because I was at CA for ten years. I say the only film or only brand we ever put into a movie was Transformers for the movie <laughs> Transformers. Because largely with your commercial, your Marvels movies, Star Wars, what have you, sure you can do some promotional work around it, but a brand doesn't really have a, a role there. Mm-hmm. So finding those opportunities where, you know, there's a reason for a brand to exist and make the, mm-hmm. you know, and either just help an audience see something they wouldn't ordinarily see. Um, certainly there's marketing that brands can do, but it's really a fine line. You know, mm-hmm. we see a lot of brands funding content and it just comes back to, is it something people are going to want to watch? Yeah. Well, I think that brings us to, you know, the, a project that's near and dear to your heart, which uh, as uh, you were telling me earlier, it's a little something on uh Rotten Tomatoes doing well. <laughs> sure, yeah. Maybe we could we could put it out as a, as a trivia question here. Um, well, there's a headline that Chris Evans, Captain America, his most notable role, his most popular movie on Rotten Tomatoes isn't what you might think. Uh, nope, it's not a Marvel movie, nor is it um, his his current film Knives Out, which is at 98. percent It's hard to Pretty beat 98. percent So you're going to tell me there's a film that is beating. Knives out at 98%. Yes. There's a film that sits in these museums and science centers that is called Superpower Dogs. And he voices, well, I'll back up. So it's a film, we had a supposition that, you know, people love to rush and see superhero movies, which are Mm. fictional beings with fictional enhanced senses of some kind um, that fight crime and save lives. Well, dogs, they can see better than us, hear better than us, smell better than us. And guess what they do when you train those senses? They actually fight crime and save lives. So dogs are the real life superheroes. So going into this you know, documentary educational project about dogs, we kind of tried to find kind of a human truth, you know, mm. or a human interest point mm. to um, to really hook into it. And then wonderfully, uh, Chris Evans is a big dog lover and um, he, he wanted to be in on the joke. You know, we're kind of poking fun at the fake superhero right, genre. Right. So he's there with us and he's an incredible voice of our avalanche rescue dog, Henry. And he reminds people at the end that, you know, dogs are wonderful, but um, make sure you get the right one for you and your family. So he gets the... So, all right. So, so the film is uh, Superpower Dogs, and what I it's a terrific film, by the way. And uh, uh, even if you don't love dogs, you will love this film. But if you do love dogs, you will especially love this film. Uh, but one thing that's, again, powerful and about what you're doing in the world of, of, of branded content is at the beginning of the film, we see some logos from Mars Pet Care. So maybe talk a little bit about how this is actually a piece of branded content, along with just being a wonderful IMAX film. Exactly. So we had a film treatment about dogs. Who better to go find than companies that are kind of steeped in that world? Mars has a mission of a better world for pets. That's kind of their cor- their corporate mission. And I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and as luck would have it, then the headquarters of Mars right Pet Care is right there. <laughs> Believe me, I traveled everywhere in the world first uh, to find them, and we had to go to Brussels and other places to get this deal done. But the serendipity of location was wonderful. But for them, it reinforced what the company was mm. about, and it gave them an opportunity to just demonstrate it in a lot of ways. So as I talk about these projects, it's not just the film that brands participate with. There's also a companion workbook. I should back up. The audience for the 
studies. So, you know, let's say we're at the Smithsonian. It's school kids that live mm-hmm. in those markets that get brought on class field trips. And alongside that is a educational workbook that Mars actually helped co-author mm. through, they have a, a research facility called Waltham that is just finding the latest data about kind of human-animal bonds and connections and the importance in our lives. And so, kibble. And kibble, yes, exactly. New the forms the, of improved kibble. You, you got to have that, especially this day. I, I joke, like, the best pet brands are just whoever is in the refrigerated section of Whole Foods. Like, that. that's going to be, it's a, it's a tough market these days. <laughs> but it just, it's a, an, an interesting tapestry of, of things they can do. And going back to the point of we only put Transformer or Hasbro's Transformers into Transformers, it's because there's not a lot of utility. AMC isn't going to let a brand do something in their venues. Mm-hmm. But Mars has these educational materials that they can put into some of the most iconic venues in the world because as long as it reinforces the message, which is all Mars really And by the way, that, that's one of the things that really disrupted my thinking on uh, branded content because it's the lightest of touches of uh, Mars brand on the film. The film, you know, unfurls, uh, you know, as its own wonderful story brought to you by, by by Mars. But I think the extension, the education pieces, the the pieces around the film, this seems to be where a lot of the power and a lot of the, um, you know, maybe where a brand can start to see a little more ROI in what is heretofore been kind of a, we're not sure the ROI, but we know it's pretty good. Yeah. Well, I have a couple other examples of how they've used it. My favorite is most recently it premiered. So these films don't release the same day everywhere, much like a a blockbuster movie would. The institutions kind of pick them up when they're ready, when they have a slot in their schedule. So Cincinnati just had the premiere in November, and Kroger's headquarters is in Cincinnati. They buy a lot of dog food. So this was an asset, a a partnership, that the people who sell dog food to Kroger's can invite the people who buy dog food for Kroger's to bring their families to come to the premiere, and the filmmakers made it special, but they actually had Henry, the dog voiced by Chris Evans, and his partner Ian arrive by helicopter on a long line down to the red carpet. I mean, if you sell dog food for a living, that's a pretty remarkable way to connect with your B2B kind of uh, application. So we've had a lot of, you know, just smart uses of it because people like it. And, And back to the point of branded entertainment versus just entertainment, you know, the brand is getting wonderful credit in and of itself, by virtue of just bringing great entertainment to people. And, and I, I can't reinforce this point enough, because I think this is something uh, very smart that you're bringing to the party, which is you know, light touch on the actual physical uh, or the filmic asset on, on the storytelling piece, which I think has always been like, uh, we got to get the brand in, so suddenly there's some ham-fisted pieces yep. that come in and and you know compromise the, the the storytelling. I think what you're suggesting again, which is a very disruptive way to look at it, is let the film do its thing. You know, it's in IMAX. Let it have its power. Let its narrative run out. And then around the film, this is the places to you know add more commercial aspects in a way that doesn't feel you know, horrifically commercial. Yeah, they actually did pre and post um, testing in about eight markets with like 700 people. And just from the film alone, just in just that little bit up front, the brand preference and brand equity numbers were remarkable. And even the intent to purchase as a result of that, um, which, you know, with the ROI, you don't often, yeah, yeah. you know, get as granular and, um, and have the opportunity to kind of, you know, get that data. I, I'll never forget the email 
which was um, when they kind of shared this, which was very recently, they say they're like, we in our gut, we knew this was the right thing to do. And now we got the numbers to prove it. <laughs> no, that's great. That's really good. Yeah. So I think along these lines, what would might be really helpful for the listeners is maybe talk about the process. Did you have the script first? Did you have Mars in mind first? Like maybe walk us through how superpower dogs, you know, came to happen. Yeah, no, it's, I'll, I'll take, I'll give you like a little bit of the personal anecdote. My dad's a veterinarian. So my entire life, as of, especially once I got into marketing, I always marveled that there was never a brand that really connected with, I mean, all the, all the kind of latent emotion that people have about their pets, but there isn't a brand that really has, there's not a Nike or an Apple or like a really. Until you saw that pedigree work about where for dogs yes, and dogs that, rule. Pedigree certainly has, uh, I would say, come the closest for sure. But, you know, there's just isn't one over time let's just call it that you know that is really kind of telegraphed to people we care as much as you do about this thing you know this territory this lane and i've just anyone who's worked with me over my many couple decade career has known matt's got this weird kind of pet fetish you know it's it's kind of a running joke with here comes johnny iguana be careful (laughs) so so anyway when this came up i'm like oh my gosh this was um I, i was still at caa and it was kind of this side project these producers in uh in the uk came to me and I just started looking around. I'm like, this will be easy because uh, my dad's mm. very involved in the veterinary community. I'm like, I can get to a lot of people, but it wasn't easy. And right. part of the reason, frankly, that the pet community doesn't have a great brand is it's a very conservative industry. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a lot of risk taking. Right. I think the changes in all the new brands that are disrupting sure. their category are forcing companies like Mars to really kind of be bolder and mm-hmm. make um, investments like this. And I'm glad something like this does pay off. But we had the film I idea first and mm-hmm. we needed to complete the production budget it's as simple as that okay. you know just so from a negotiation standpoint there isn't much room <laughs> you know it's right, kind of right. like if you want to get this done this is what it costs or we don't have a movie because mm-hmm. this is we need what we need the nice thing for a project like this is you know you don't have to pay it all in one year which mm-hmm. i'm getting in a little bit in the weeds here but it's different than most branded yeah most and i guess frankly any marketing piece you pay it right on the spot right. so um just virtue of how films get made you can you know, as long as you can, you can get money from a bank when you have a deal yeah. in place. So that helps ease the financials of it for a company like Mars to allow us to get started and uh, develop it over the time we did. And so when, when you were talking to them, so you have the material, you, you have the film, was the film, the film wasn't shot yet. We had started, as you saw in the film, we follow a puppy being trained, yeah. like the, the main Halo. line, Halo, exactly. Halo's a great Halo, who's, um, whose handler, ironically, is Cat, you know, <laughs> call in our dog movie. <laughs> that um, was perfect. So Halo, as, as they say, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> so that began, we just had to get some stuff going. Yeah, yeah. So that was a bit of you know investment just to, mm. to begin. But it kind of reached the point where we're going to follow that story, but we can't go and shoot the avalanche <laughs> you right, know, right, scene right. or you know the Amalfi Coast or go to Kenya for the the poachers stuff until we oh, have bloodhounds are yeah, amazing. amazing. I didn't realize how, how big they are. Yeah. But here's another point. As one of the producers, Taryn Davies at, uh, at Cosmic Picture, which is a company that made this film, says it's science on a lollipop. You know, <laughs> it's I, which I just, and he's got a British accent, so it's it's wonderful when he says it. But I think that's exactly yeah. what makes this wonderful. Is and I and I thought of that because as I'm thinking through the different dogs, I'm thinking of 
the bits about him that are science-related, like the olfactory senses in the bloodhounds or the power of Newfoundland and the things you kind of just learn by virtue of watching it that in the end, oh, guess what? I kind of, I kind of know a little bit more. And by the about way, these bilingual dog, the dog spoke Italian. Yeah, it was exactly. fantastic. Uh, Ferruccio is amazing. <laughs> he came to the premiere in California, oh, yeah. and he's cool. <laughs> yeah, no, those dogs are just incredible. So things coming up now are things, you know, things that are, you know, cooking on your stove. What stages are they in? Are you getting scripts? Are you shooting? Like, where's the material coming from? And then what's going to happen with the material? Yeah, thank you for asking, because I'll just lay out all my pitches now. <laughs> no, I won't do that to people. Um, the wonderful thing with Superpower Dogs, it is just, it's different than what you see in these venues. So we're getting a lot of material brought to us just because mm. of, you know, our ability to develop great work and get it into these science centers, which isn't a thing to do. It's its own kind of marketplace unto itself. So we have about five projects now. You know, they range from everything. One's about Albert Einstein and his passion for imagination and creativity and how that, and, um, and two female astrophysicists practice, I'm working today who are inspired by him. So it's a little And by bit, the way, do you have a brand connected to that? No, okay. but if you have one, let's talk after this podcast. <laughs> um, so that's called Einstein's Incredible Universe. And that's, you know, just a fully, we actually, we did shoot something for that during the uh, clips that happened a couple summers ago. We filmed, there were 30 points because um, Einstein's theory of relativity was proven through um, an eclipse that shor- that came happened shortly thereafter. Oh, that old chestnut. So he, uh, <laughs> as part of the story and just kind of the, what is the chances of, we want to make a movie about Einstein and there's an eclipse happening. We set up 30 camera crews mm. along the zone of totality. Um, which I just think is the coolest name ever. Uh, so, so we've captured this incredible. There is not footage that anywhere that is as thorough or complete as um, we captured. So that's one where we actually have a bit in the can. And then other ones. We have one uh, one that's awesome. It's called How to Be an Orangutan. Mm. I mean, it's about a horrible crisis situation that you know orangutans might go extinct during mm. our lifetime. Um, and part of the real challenge is their mothers raise orangutans till about seven or eight years old. Mm. And because of deforestation in the two parts of the world where they live, the mothers are getting killed trying to protect their turf Oof. and their children. So there are these children who haven't fully learned how to survive on their own. Mm. So there are these orphanages that exist to just teach them how to be an orangutan. So it's at that point... Orangutan Academy. That's a great name. You've just named a movie. Why am I advertising Yeah, that's true. That's true. Orangutan Um, Academy. I love it. So there are these orangutans. At that point, it's kind of a comedy because watching these like little baby orangutans and they're all in diapers. If anybody from Huggies is out there, they have a tagline. They have a a tagline that says, no baby left unhugged. And I'm just thinking like, I mean, they share, these babies share uh, orangutans tanks share 97% of our DNA, so human DNA, so the closest mammal to us. So, you know, it's close enough. Listen, the uh, the race is on. Huggies or Pampers, we're, yeah, we're, we're okay. We're, we're, yes, exactly. They need they need nappies, as the producers <laughs> on that one would say. So there's that. We have um, we have one about wildfires. And mm. as the producer said, should we take this film on? I said, as sad as it is to say, every year we have a marketing campaign for this movie. Yeah, you know, as a, right, and we were talking right. about it during that period of time. And it's like, as a parent, I, you know, if there's a science documentary about the wildfires we're seeing on the news, like I'd want to know how they happen, who are the sure. crazies that go in there, and like sure. you, know, you look at us. a brand like uh, Verizon, who uh, you know invests in first responders. You know, this is you know what they brought to the Super Bowl this yep. year. I yep. mean, it's exactly. interesting. What, what's also interesting, what I'm hearing too, is these films have a science component. So in a world that is really trying to celebrate STEM. Uh, and that sort of stuff. Again, interesting, uh, an interesting kind of niche uh, just for what you're doing. 
Yeah, it's um, and it's fun. Look, I just think you know, once you become a parent, you kind of really appreciate just watching your kids come home and what they absorb and what they get interested in, and especially when you take them to these environments. So here's another way to look at it too. You had asked me about the types of projects, and one is we have projects that are brought to us that we want to find mm-hmm. support for. Another one is kind of reverse engineering projects based on what brands care about. Mm. And so I have a friend who took a job at a big rubbish removal company. Mm. We'll just leave it at that to tell as a big rubbish removal company, they're a big. Res- So we got talking about his new job and telling their story as experts and best practices and and recycling. And they actually have materials they want to get into schools. So not like a Sopranos. uh, No, no. no, That that would probably be more of a commercial play. Like, you know, you'd find that in the AMC. Because I do believe Tony Soprano was a waste management consultant. Oh, right. So looking at it, it's like, well, let's tell the definitive story of why, you know, what will happen to us mm. if, if we don't recycle. And here are some best practices because you teach that kid and then give them your workbooks. Those kids are going to go home having learned a little bit more than the family. And they're right. going to go home and police everybody. You can't Absolutely. put that in the recycling. It's got to, you got to rinse that out. Like, and, and that's kind of the fun part is, um, you know, just giving that little bit of knowledge to. And I think, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, certainly what Adidas is doing with, uh, you know, the Parlay project and, you know, mining from uh, the sea you know, this plastic island that's out there. Yep. Uh, you know, there are places for brands. There's so much activity. That's the thing. There's just so much legit work that yeah. just, it just doesn't get showcased. I think that's how I see this is I just see it as a place that, and, and I'm cautious of preserving spaces that, that shouldn't right. have, you know, overt marketing. And that's not what this is. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's really only for, you know, legitimate efforts that just contribute to either an understanding of a, of a situation that we need to make better or just, you know, best practice practices and learning that people mm-hmm. should understand and brands should get credit for that stuff right. you know like they're doing the work they're making significant investments frankly the power of brands and it's exciting to see like it um can last year where you know the CMO, it's Jane Wakeley from Mars, and it's um, and Mark Pritchard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're leading what CMOs can do with the resources sure. that they have. So I think, as a longtime marketing person, it's exciting to see you know the industry really rally around that. And where I see an opportunity to bring some of that work to be showcased where it's mm-hmm. not, I think is is great. You know, the other thing I was thinking about too. So most of your work is dedicated to building for IMAX. But are you seeing opportunities in other platforms? I mean, the, kind of the opposite end of IMAX TikTok. How much time you got? How long is this podcast? Um, no, because I actually dabble in too many things, quite frankly. I mean, this is a really big passion area. TikTok is fascinating. I'll give you, a, I mean, something I just have more exposure to. I'm working with a something called World Tour, which is a music festival mm. that has kind of a part like TEDx social mission component. It's called World Tour. It was just announced as a partnership with Will Smith and Westbrook um, earlier this year. And if you follow the Smith family at all, they've got huge hearts and they're really active and they launched just water which mm. is a yeah, you know a carbon zero plant-based bottle reusable mm-hmm. packaging mm-hmm. they're really focused on a lot of good initiatives and bringing kind of pop culture and just the idea of it's going to six cities international cities this year but alongside each one it, it engages the civic leaders and communities the change leaders mm. influencers in the artists that are going to be on stage but also teaching them a little bit so when they go on their own tour they kind of know what to talk about because they really care but part of being an artist is if you don't say things exactly right you're going to get blasted but but i think like your imax work this work i mean you seem to be doing this combination of the actual piece of content and then the let's call it the deployment in life or you know there there seems to be this connection where it's not just the content 
in space in the ether, but it's also getting the messaging for the brands on the ground. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure, you know, I've always seen it that way. And I think that is what's, you know, to me, very powerful. Thanks. I should come here more often. It makes me feel good. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit of it. So you mentioned uh, you uh, you came up through CAA. Maybe tell us a little bit about your journey from sweeping up uh, for your dad at the, uh, at the, the vet. vet clinic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I um, my first job out of college was I worked on a boat and um, I was a first mate, which is a, a fancy name for boat washer and didn't know what I wanted to do. And then stumbled into um, Portland, Oregon, and I learned about this. I met somebody at the gym wearing a, my school sweatshirt, and uh, he happened to work at this place called Whedon and Kennedy, as I knew it at the time. <laughs> you know, quickly learned. Uh, you, sometimes you don't know how good you got it. Like So I was in Portland, and I happened into a, a pretty good ad agency. Yeah. But I also... Was it, did it was, you learn how to pronounce the name? I did that? eventually. Okay, yeah. yeah, they're they're quick to correct you. Um, <laughs> so uh, I actually worked on the Microsoft business, a short-lived but right, interesting right. period of yeah. time. Where do you want to go today? One of the great yeah. campaigns of our time. Loved it, it. It was unbelievable. But I would also say it's where I learned my diplomacy in life because I, as an account, a junior account person, the ping pong ball between Seattle and Portland, people ask me, "What do you do?" I say, "I tell people things they don't want to hear." <laughs> that might <laughs> be the what, best definition of account manager. <laughs> I've heard in a long time. So anyway, so that was just a great place. I, I appreciate the value of a company culture. Mm. I appreciated the value of creativity. I mean, if I had a ESPN Sports Center VHS tape, like that was pop culture. Right. My buddies were psyched to right. watch that on the weekend. And and then I mean it played like content. It didn't 100%. play like a commercial. Exactly. So that's where I kind of appreciated the power of it. And then TiVo enters and people can choose to skip the things I spent a lot of time on. So I kind of was in this mode of, well, if you can't beat them, join them. And there right. were a few other stops along the way for sure. But then I went to CAA, which was the spirit of which was, let's see how we bring the people who put stuff in between popular culture, mm. forms of popular culture, um, how to kind of collaborate. So I was there in LA and then I went to Nashville, which frankly, it may be worth talking about how we met. I saw the shingle hanging outside uh, for- Coming station. Yeah, exactly. For in uh, And we reached out because I had heard you on our mutual friend, Omid Farhang's incredible podcast. Wonderful. Um, talking to ourselves. Talking to ourselves. Uh, apparently he was talking to others. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was um, where I first kind of got to know you. And then I saw that uh, and we reached out and connected on LinkedIn, and I've been a fan of the Disruptor podcast ever since. Fantastic. So you, it's interesting because, you know, your career basically reflects what you're doing now. You're coming up through, you know, aside from boating, mm -hmm. uh, you're uh, washing boats, but you're coming up through Wyden, then you go to CAA. So it's the perfect connection between advertising and content, and that's kind of where branded content is, although your spin on it to activate it in the community, I think, is uh, is different. Yeah, thank you. It certainly didn't feel... You make it sound purposeful almost, but it was it was anything but. Um, I mean, things happen. It's just... It's an interesting time. I mean, it's exciting to see people get charged up about what's facing our world, and, you know, it's really cool to see brands. I mean, the first exposure I had to brands was Unilever, and I'm sure that's mm. the same for many because they were so ahead of their time, and they have so many agencies and marketing relationships, but just the idea of the sustainable living plan that Canor Bullion Cubes yeah. can, you know influence the the food chain how they're produced i mean it just it just blew my mind like what is possible i think at the time um they were talking about it it was kind of the first time i had heard anyway how um you know it's not going to be government leadership that's going to save the world it's right. going to be corporate leadership that saves the world and then there were a few of them kind of going it alone but 
Yeah, well, their CEO, I think Paul Pullman, and I mean, this yeah, guy Paul was Pullman. amazing. Yeah. So, th- th- what was your, what was your thought there? You can you know bullion cube films like what? <laughs> I mean, what, what? Well, it's interesting. What we was have... that one? Uh, that specific? Was there anything uh, good story there? You know how you have you call it your drawer, your hard drive, or wherever that are the things that you just wish like it. You know, timing is everything. But we did a little kind of sizzle. I've never seen kind of a comp concept be brought to life in film the way this had, but we were all super passionate about it, which just showed we were going to create the most sustainable town in the U.S. Mm. Um, so we were working with um, Mark Mathieu was at Unilever at the time, and he was, you know, he's always kind of brought a big heart to mm. every place he's been. And when you talk about Brandon, I'll go to another of my favorites because I was close to it, didn't do it, but watched it happen, was the early Chipotle films. Sure. Uh, you know, came sure. out of CA. So, you right, know, he, right, right from the start. Yeah, and, exactly. Know. So he really like that work and that's how we got talking and he's like how do you help us tell our sustainable living plan story you know we've got ragu that uses only the the necessary amount of water to minimize water waste and he went through all the different brands and so we put together this it was an idea of just going finding the least sustainable town in america and then trying to help it become the most you know how they you know Mm -hmm. learning best water practices from how ragu tomatoes are farmed and grown to you know water the high school you know football field and we kind of made these connections you yeah man you're so ragu university no wonder you're the top dog these are good i don't know about that but it but yeah that's that's really cool so what's next what's next i'd like to get these movies made Uh, i honestly i honestly think i would love to get more brands to do that i got one you know we got mars to support superpower dogs i just think it's a white space you know you can't buy your way into these in a traditional sense. Mm-hmm. It's not a media buy. The other thing I'll say is they, they last for three to five years. Mm. You know, that's the other thing that's super that's interesting. interesting. Once it's out there, you, or once, once you're in, like at the California Science Center, in for a year. And that's good foot traffic. I mean, I'll, you look at what um, Procter & Gamble was a part of um, Activate with Nat Geo. Six-episode series, sure. great celebrity, incredible content, great promotion, but it ran for a period of time. Right. And then, you know, now I'm sure it's on demand. I'm sure they're getting other uses mm. for it. But what I love about this is there's a steady drumbeat of audience that comes through to see these projects, you know, through class field trips and families just getting around right, and going right. to see it. So for me, this is just the earliest beginning of what I hope can be, like, a really new world for all of these great initiatives out there. So that's kind of what's next. And I'm all, and you know alongside that there is the um, you know this music festival, which is also just kind mm-hmm. of getting its legs and happening and telling incredible stories about what the cities of the future look like. Because if you think about mm-hmm. it, a music festival of the size these are forty thousand person mm-hmm. stadiums, they're cities in their own right. You right, know, they're the right. size of right. um, you know outside of, you know, in the countries beyond the, you know, the city centers we're going to, you know, they're bigger than most places. So what are some of the best practices that cities of those size can deploy? And, um, you know, we're going to lead with um, in those environments with with those things. Yeah. I mean, let me just ask you one pragmatic question. Uh, Who, in your experience, has been the best champion of this stuff? Is this the CMO? Is this the CEO? Is this someone at the agency? Is this a chief brand officer? I mean, where, you know, like in Mars, for example, who kind of looked at this thing and said, yeah, we must do this? That is a great question. I think it varies, quite frankly. I think it's, you know, I would say the CMO Mm -hmm. predominantly. We had to go up to the CEO of the organization Mm -hmm. for for the SEC. CFO was certainly involved. I, I love the response of the the CFO of Mars, he said, 
As the world's leader in animal health and caring for animals, it is our fiduciary duty to support mm. this project. <laughs> so we're like, I th- we think that's pretty good. But these are not insignificant numbers. Again, right. you can spread it over a, a period of time, but they're not huge relative to an ad buy, you sure. know, like or the media you put behind something. Mm-hmm. So I think if I think people look at things in isolation and you look at a number, but if you look at what you spend in media, it's a fraction. And for the kind of impact, the intent to purchase out of seeing superpower dogs was up by like 40 I mean, it was crazy. Like, there is a real data point that says people are going to go buy us again soon because of this. And that's important. But it is a great question. And I just think it varies. I think, you know, who see, I go to people leading, uh, you know, the CSR efforts because that's that's kind of where the legitimate um, that that. that's where the programs are. But I think they don't have much money. They're doing work and then they need to recognize, you know, it's really got to be kind of a collaborative effort, Mm. you know, because and then, you know, putting in the money to help us make this film, then, of course, there's costs to get the most out of it. So that's that's where you know, depending on, because I think there's a lot more that Mars can certainly do around it. But that, again, that's the beauty of a three to potentially five year life stream of this. And that's the other thing that's nice is campaigns can be, you go from campaign to campaign. When you've got an asset, you can just count on being there and you've kind of got it down to, you know, just uh, reliable mechanics that Mm -hmm. makes life a lot easier for everybody. So, but thanks for, I I appreciate all all, all your great questions (laughs) about this because, um, you know, a lot of people, frankly, don't really get it. So thank you for. for uh, <laughs> well, hopefully, we can illuminate some folks who are listening in. So you're gonna add, you're gonna answer one more question for us, and that's we, we we like to ask our guests. Give us one piece of advice. Give us a piece of advice. It could be for a, a CMO. It could be for a rising rising talent uh, in the business. But one piece of advice uh, from your uh, career that uh, you'd give somebody about you know maybe getting into the world of branded content. Yeah, my piece of advice would be is just. Uh, be nice and generous. I just think I think in anything you do, and that's it's a little bit of a blanket, but entertainment is a hard business to be in, and I think personalities can stand out one way or another. I think marketing can sometimes be a hard industry to be in. And certainly I hear a lot of chatter about you and the position you're in, and you've got an incredible reputation for kind of being level-less and how you look at people and mm-hmm. just being interested in people. And I think that goes a long way anywhere. But if you want to specific, I think it applies in this entertainment world because it's hard and yeah. you got to have kind of Unfortunately, you have to have thick skin because you get a lot of no's. You know, like I said, a lot, in my world, a lot of people don't get it, but I can't or don't answer your emails or your calls. Or no but, is just a, it's just one step to yes. Exactly. <laughs> it's just it's just I'm not. It just means I'm not ready yet. Exactly. I'm not ready now. All right, Matt. Well, nice and generous. You're certainly a, a very nice person, and I think uh, super generous on your wisdom about you know a, a special way and a disruptive way that you're doing branded content. So we really appreciate you bringing on the show. Thank you. If there's anything you want to work on together, I'm all ears. <laughs> all right, we're gonna take that offline. I like the Einstein thing. Cool. <laughs> all right, thanks, Matt. Thank you for listening to the Disruptor Series podcast, Adweek's Agency Podcast of the Year. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashydayny.com. 